Kings chapter 9 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 1. Stand with me as you turn. It says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David, my fa- as thy father walked, and in the integrity of, his, of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, Then will I establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye are your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb, and a byword among all people. And at this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken, upon, and taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all of this evil." Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and we thank you for these two books. And uh, Lord, it's, it is a historical record of what you did in Israel, but it's, it's more, more than that. It is the Word of God. Lord, I think of the statement, all Scripture may not be uh, written to us, but all Scripture is for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would find in this passage of Scripture tonight what you have for us that we would look backward at some of the things that you did in Israel. And, uh, Lord, we would apply it to our hearts uh, tonight. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The story of, of Solomon here, and as the house of the Lord is completed, this was the second time that the Lord would appear unto him. And you know the first time, he was just a young man, and uh, when the Lord would appear unto him. And we're going to come back to this scripture here in a minute for the message. But First and Second Kings, and uh, First and Second Kings. The really the books here are another like First and Second Samuel. Originally, when the Jews would write them, they were one book, and First and Second Kings were one book, and so were First and Second Chronicles. Somewhere along the line, they it was divided, and they were divided in two, probably just for ease of of use, and much like we put chapter and verse divisions in our in our Bible. But you can almost look at First First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, and Second Kings as one continuous. book. Book, telling the history of, of the kings and what God would do. It would begin with Saul and it would be 1 Samuel would kind of begin with Saul and, and the end of the book of 2 Kings would end with, with the king of Babylon. And uh, the Lord would highlight in these two books all that took place in between and, uh, and uh, just how God worked and how the people would turn away from him and yet God would work in spite of that. And and so these books, First and Second Kings, begins with the really the end of David's life, and then goes through the course of the time of Solomon and other kings. And First Kings includes the uh, the division of the kingdoms, and uh, really the Second Kings uh, tells the story of the destruction of the kingdoms of their of their conquering. 
We don't know necessarily when it comes to the writer exactly who it is. We suppose it to be Jeremiah is the one that was taken traditionally. We do know uh, it was written while the temple was still standing. In 1 Kings 8 and verse 8, we find that. But it's a book of the, written more by the prophets. And so you see these kings from the perspective of, of the prophets as they would write about what took place in, in Israel as they would move from king to king. It's a story of triumphs, tyrannies, and troubles for Israel and Judah's kings. In the book of Kings, the history is written from a human standpoint, from the viewpoint of a prophet. These books were written before the Babylonian captivity and record the events that led up to the national disaster. Boy, it's a good thing to pay attention to these books because you can see God's blessing come upon the people through David and Solomon, and you can see God's blessing removed from the people. And you can see how what brought about God's blessing upon a nation, and you can see what would remove God's hand of blessing, not only for a nation, but, uh, but for a, before an individual. What brings the blessing of God upon a people, and what can remove that? And we see that in this, these books. Uh, the theme of it is, is the standard of the kingdom. Over and over, matter of fact, nine times in 1 Kings, you'll see the phrase, as David his father. As they, or whether they walked in the ways of David their father or whether they did not. And what's amazing to me is, what's well, not amazing, uh, they, didn't even, they couldn't even keep that standard, could they? And you'll find as you go through that book, and some lived accordingly and some did not, and that was, if you will, a human standard as David his father, but they, they couldn't keep that standard even from a human standpoint. I, I think of how the Lord, when we looked at this last week, when the people would ask for a king and the Lord would tell Samuel, it's not you they've rejected, it's, it's me they have rejected. And they chose a king to, to be king over them. And I think in this passage of scripture, we see the failure of man to be able to rule himself. They chose a king and they had kings, but men could not Rule their own, rule, even rule themselves. And I think of the, the teaching in the scripture where the Bible says, and, uh, where the, the Lord tells us to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. Friend, it is insufficient try to try to rule ourselves in life by our own strength and our own character. It is something that God has to do in our life. If character was sufficient, then we wouldn't have needed Christ for salvation. If character could cut it, then we wouldn't have needed the cross. We wouldn't need Calvary. We wouldn't need an empty tomb. Now, there's a story that shows that men cannot rule themselves, and it is what unfolds through the books of First and Second Kings as they have their kings and fail to rule themselves. Some key verses for these two books in Second Kings seventeen twenty-two through twenty-three. It says, "For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did; they departed not from them until until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So was Israel carried away." out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And then, of course, for Judah in 2 Kings 25, 21, and the king of Babylon smote them and slew them at, at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was carried away out of their land. We see both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom carried away into captivity because of the way they turned away from the Lord. They turned away from the Lord, and rather than have an inheritance in the land, they lost the land. And God would allow them to be carried away into captivity. He would bring, it back, bring them back, obviously, after that chastening, but we see them lose it. The purpose of this book, 1 Kings records the divisions of the kingdom. 2 Kings records the collapse of the kingdom. To consider them together, they open with King David and close with the king of Babylon. They are a book of man's rule of God's kingdom. 
The throne on earth must be in tune with the throne in heaven if blessing comes and benefits accrue to the people. That uh, if a throne on earth will receive God's blessing, it must be in tune with the throne of heaven. And I don't think that's anything different for the Christian's life. If, I am, if we'll receive the blessings of God, if we want that working of God, then we must be in tune with him. And we must be walking with him. And, and when you read this book, you can see kingdoms, kings that would rise up and walk and, as David their father did and seek the Lord, and you would see them turn away. We would see that in Solomon's life. As he would walk as his father, as, as his father David had, and then he would turn away. And uh, the wisest man to ever live to turn away from God. In the pursuit of his wisdom, he moved away, away from God. And he, he, if you will, he sowed those seeds of, the, of, the, of a fallen kingdom in his lifetime. He sowed those in for his children with his, his decisions that he made. An outline of First and Second Kings, just a brief outline, the death of David in First Kings 1 through 2, the glory of Solomon's reign in First Kings 3 through 11, the building of the temple, the fame of Solomon, the shame and death of Solomon in chapter 11. We'll look at that here before long. The division of the kingdom in 1 Kings chapter 12 through 2 Kings 16, we see the kingdom divided. The captivity of Israel uh, or of, by Assyria in 2 Kings 17, we see Israel taken into captivity. And the decline in captivity of Judah by Babylon in 2 Kings 18 through 25. We see the people going from the height, if you will, to the depth, from the sunrise, if you will, to the, to the sunset on God's blessing on the kingdom as they turned away from the Lord. There are some, uh, just for your benefit, there's some, some list of the kings, of, the Judah, the kings of, of Judah, the times in which they lived, and even the way God would describe them in terms of their character, whether they served God well or whether they served him poorly, both in the kings of Israel. When you notice the northern kingdom, not a one of them was listed. Not a one of them was listed in their character as being acceptable before the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I want to look here today, tonight, at, at, at Solomon's life. This is the second time, the second time that the Lord would appear to him. Solomon is, is kind of mind-boggling the way he starts out, the wisdom that he gains, and yet somewhere along the line, he, he turns away from God and he loses all of that. In this passage of Scripture and in this chapter, really 9, we see the highlight just after the building of the temple and God's, what, the way that God moved in and the presence of God. It, it, we find Solomon later in his life, and we'll read this, worshiping false gods. Now think about that for a moment. When you look at Solomon, Solomon was the one that God would use to build the temple. The Shekinah glory, he witnessed it descend upon the temple. He witnessed the presence of God descend upon the temple that, that God had used him to build and watched the God work, the, the, the sacrifices that were made. And yet later on, matter of fact, in chapter 11, you will find Solomon sacrificing and worshiping pagan gods. Talk about a fall. To go from witnessing the presence of God in the center of God's people to finding himself, if you will, worshiping the false gods. To go from seeking God's aid to law caught up with the wisdom of the world and completely losing sight of God. And he would sow the seed in his lifetime for the division of the kingdom. You know, Rehoboam, obviously the king under whose hand the, the kingdom was divided under Rehoboam's foolishness. But if you were to read in the life of Rehoboam, you'd find out that it was, it was ordained of God because of the sin of his father. <laughs> Rehoboam made some foolish decisions in the counsel he sought. 
Rehoboam made foolish decisions early in the kingdom, and, uh, but the reality is God had already said that the kingdom was going to be run, took, taken from uh, at least uh, the 11, 11 of the tribes taken from Solomon and uh, from his family as a result of his foolish sins. And so D- Solomon goes from David the established king, Solomon the wisest king, and yet in his lifetime he plants the seed that would divide a kingdom. The wisest king ever the one who completed the temple of God, would sow those seeds that would divide a kingdom and set it off down a path of of division and ultimately uh, the dividing of the kingdom. I want to look at that tonight. And the first thing is we'll look at from the sunrise, letter A, from the sunrise. Look at how we, what we see here about Solomon in this passage of scripture in the early days of his life. And it says, and it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all of Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. You know, the first thing I note about it early in his life, he was a man of a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Uh, Prayer is the result of dependence, isn't it? Prayer is the result of dependence. Uh, you know, we pray when we recognize our dependence. Matter of fact, if you keep your finger here and you go back earlier in 1 Kings, and if you go back just a little ways in, in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, The first time the Lord appeared unto Solomon. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy. According as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him his great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit in his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant a king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for the multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. To judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. When you look at the early days of, of Solomon's life, matter of fact, some believe that uh, Josephus thinks Solomon was 15 years of age, but somewhere probably between 15 and 20, he would say he was just a, a little child as he took the throne of Israel. And early in his life, he was a man of prayer and dependence upon the Lord. As the kingdom rose, Solomon recognized something. I cannot do this. I'm just a little child. I need the Lord at work in this kingdom if I will lead this kingdom the way God would have it to be led. If I, I will need the wisdom and the understanding that only God can provide. I think of the verse, if any, of you, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. And uh, he, he recognized his desperate need for the working of God. His dependence upon the Lord. We will see later in his life that he moved away from that dependence upon the Lord. Matter of fact, the wisdom that he gained became sufficient. Friend, friend, be, be, be leery of the day that the wisdom and experience of your life removes your dependence upon God. Because it is what precedes a downfall. 
when we rely so heavily on the wisdom and the experience that we feel that we have gained in our life that we no longer feel the necessity to run to the Lord and just say, Lord, I need you. I need you working in my life. I need the wisdom of God in my life. I need you working in my home and in my family. I need the wisdom of God, that dependence upon God that drove us to our knees. It is what precedes a downfall. Solomon, in his rise, recognized how much he needed the Lord. And it was that dependence upon the Lord and that prayer to God that made God look and say, I am going to bless this man and this kingdom. Not because he was already wise. As a matter of fact, the wisdom that he gained came as a result of his dependence. It is folly to lose your dependence. It is wisdom to live in dependence upon God. The fool walks in his own might, rather in dependence upon God. And we see in Solomon's life, early in his life, as, if you will, the sun rising upon the kingdom, and David had been used to defeat many of the enemies, and now Solomon comes on the scene. And what we see in early in his life is his prayer life, is his call upon the Lord and his dependence upon the Lord. I'm reminded of Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you of, if, of whom if his son ask a bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? The, the call that answered prayer in our life. And I wonder how much possessions it took for Solomon to gain before he felt like he no, need, no longer needed to pray and ask God. I wonder how much wisdom he had to gain before he felt like he no longer needed the wisdom of God. To where he no longer had a dependence upon the Lord and so he no longer leaned on the Lord. But early in the kingdom's rise, Solomon was someone who recognized how much he needed God. And he called upon him, a man of prayer, See a man of the word, verse four in chapter nine. And if thou wilt walk before me as David, thy father walked in the integrity of heart and in the uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, I will establish the thrones of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. You'd find something similar earlier in the passage of scripture, uh, earlier in 1 Kings chapter 3, when, when Solomon would once again it, uh, walk in the ways of the Lord, the commandments and the statutes of God. He was someone who sought to the word to walk in obedience to the statutes and the commandments and the judgments of God. Lord, what have you said in your word? That is what I want to follow. His dependence upon God in prayer led to a dependence upon what God had said in his word. And he, I want to walk this way. I want to live this way. Well, if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see uh, really the story of Solomon's life as he would shift from one seeking wisdom in one place to another place to another place. And he would sum it up all as vanity. <laughs> but early, he sought it in God's word. Early. In his life, a kingdom on the rise was, a, was from a king who recognized his dependence upon the Lord, sought the Lord's face in prayer, and walked according to his word. Lord, what, what do you have for me? 
What does your word say? What are the promises of scripture? How can I, how can I live out what is in your word? How do I apply it to my life and seek your face? Because you have all that I need. Dependence upon God. But somewhere. Somewhere along the line. The dependence went out the word way. And so did the word. But as a kingdom rose... As the kingdom rose, he knew something. I've got to walk according to the word. And by the way, if you spend much time in the word, you'll find out the only way to live that word is by way of the Lord in your life. That's the thing about the scripture. Uh, it, first of all, it reveals our weaknesses and it shows who God is. The statement, we, we don't take it, very, we take it very lightly, but the Lord says, be ye holy even as I am what? Holy ever, just think about that. The call of God. And nobody lives that life on their own. Nobody. It is lived with God at work in our life. And Solomon, when a kingdom was on its rise, he knew his dependence and how desperately he needed God. He had that in his prayer and that walk in the word and he depended upon the Lord. Those verses there in James, I'll just read the first one. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I think of the witnessing, to witness and share the gospel. Brother Davidson and Brother Ryan both sharing the gospel with someone, giving them the scripture that is able to save a man's soul as they see who God is and what God did for them. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. Is it engrafted into your life? I think you know what it is to engraft. It's when someone takes a vine, a grapevine, and they take the vine and they slice into the vine and they bring a branch from another vine and they uh, put it into that and then they tape it together and eventually they grow together. They're engrafted in the life of that branch it finds in the vine. And, uh, and, that, and that if you were to break that branch away from the vine, it would die. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. You can't do without. You can't do without. Not just uh, the reading of it or the studying of it or the memorization of it, but, but the living of it. Have you come to the place in your life that if you didn't have the word, you would have nothing? Nothing. Like if someone took away, well, you can't believe that promise anymore. You can't live by this promise anymore. You can't follow that instruction that the whole framework of your life would fall apart. We ought to be in such a place that without the word, the framework of our life would fall apart because it's been engrafted. We're not careful. You know, if someone took the word away, it wouldn't matter because we're engrafted into the world's way of doing things. The world is what tells us how to live and what to do and and how to order our life rather than the promises of his word. He was a man of word. He was a a man of prayer. He was a man of a humble walk. I I think of that phrase in verse 4, and if thou wilt walk before me. James 4, 6 through 10 says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He would walk before the Lord as David his father had early in his life, but he would, he would lose that walk and that humbleness of heart. 
I think what made David a man after God's own heart, one of the things about it was his, his, his ability to repent quickly. <laughs> he was quick to get right. He wasn't a sinless man. Matter of fact, if you look at David's life, he was, he was far from that. Matter of fact, if David came in, some of us might scoot the opposite way on the pew, right? Some of the things, a murderer and adulterer and all of those things. But David was a man who would get right with God. He would get right with God. And Solomon lost it. His humbleness, his dependence upon God, his walk in the word. Somewhere in his life, the wisdom of man trumped the humility of walking in obedience and just simply following God. Somewhere his wisdom grew to the point that he didn't need to lean on God. He didn't need the word of God. Somewhere along the line, the wisdom of the world trumped the wisdom of walking with God. And that's a scary place to be. When our grasp on this life trumps our dependence upon God. We shouldn't be too hard on Solomon. Because how easy is that to do? Whereas we're going through our wisdom and our thoughts and our ideas and our logic and our plans and our experience and, and all the things that we've gained as we walk through this life are the decision makers for us rather than a simple dependence upon God. And when he was young, at his rise, he just simply said, Lord, I need you because without you, I'm nothing. I'm going to walk in dependence upon you. I'm going to run to your word and a humble heart. We see the sunrise. Now look, if you will, at the sunset. Go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, go ahead. In verse, verse 1, it says this. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Chapter 11, verse 1 of 1 Kings. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidoians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he, and he had 700 wives, princes and 300 princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the, was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Dezoians, and, and after Milcom, the abominations of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Molech, the abominations of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared in him twice, and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely run the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son." Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Uh, we see here Solomon's long fall and the sunset of what God was doing in his life. It, it's a shame when the sins of a father impact a son that much, isn't it? Be careful, dads. What we do matters. 
what we do matters. The sins of a father that would cost his son the kingdom. I I want you to look at these verses in Deuteronomy. This was some instruction for the people of Israel when they would have a king. We looked at it last week, but Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 19. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in in any wise set him a king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is thy brother, but he shall not multiply. Notice this phrase. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write his copy of this law in a book out of that which before the priests and the Levites, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. Boy, you notice some of the things that Solomon just forsook in what God commanded of a king. Solomon went from being a man of prayer and dependence upon God to a man of the flesh. A man of the flesh. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Rather than being a man of dependence upon God, he caved to the desires of the flesh. There's a lesson, you know, who you marry matters, right? For our young people, who you marry matters. You ought to consider not just where your heart goes, but where they're going, because where they're going is going to be where you're headed. And if the wisest man in all the world couldn't escape it, friend, neither will we. But here we see it in this passage of Scripture. And we see him as he would cave to the desires of the flesh, and he would love his wives and he began to love them more than he loved his God. And he would build his false God altars for them and through them, and he would give their hearts to other gods because he became a man of the flesh. Friend, we may not, you may not have 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you do, you may be dead soon, all right? All right? But we may not have that, but how quickly and how easy it is to give our life to the things of the flesh. And the Bible would say this, I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would walk in the flesh and you cannot walk in the spirit. David went from prayer and dependence upon God and walking, if you will, in independence upon the Lord to giving himself to his flesh, his desires. And it was the sunset, friend. The sun begins to set on the blessings of God when rather than walking in dependence upon God and in his word, we begin to walk in the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Friend, this world is not your friend. It is neither your, friend, your home nor your friend. We are just passing through. Solomon gave his heart to the things that were around him and it would cost the kingdom. His flesh, a man of the flesh, a man of possessions. Go, to, go back, go to this chapter 10, towards the end of chapter 10, look at verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the kings at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as the sycamore tree that are in the vale of abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of where? 
Egypt. Remember when the Lord said, don't do that. And linen yarn and the king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. So all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring, in, bring them out by their means. He became a man of possessions, a man of the flesh and a man of possessions. And he was getting his possessions out of Egypt, a picture of the world. God said, kings don't multiply to yourself horses for dependence. Don't multiply to yourself gold for what you want. Don't marry wives from the land. Don't follow these pagans' gods. And that is exactly what Solomon did. Somewhere in his life, the wisdom that he had accrued in life became the folly that he, that, he, that he lived under as he forsook a walking in obedience to God and said, I'll get my wealth, I'll get my horses, and he would get his women, and he'd walk in dependence upon the Lord, and he would lose the blessing of God and sell out the kingdom. Because he became a man of the fleshly things of the world and the possessions of the world. Isn't it something? The, the, the wisest man in the world fell to women and money, didn't he? Not much has changed. The flesh and possessions. But I, if Solomon can fall, anybody can. It became his demise as he looked at the things of the world and sought the possessions of the world and failed to walk in the Spirit and walk in dependence upon God, and instead he became someone who was walking in the flesh, gaining the possessions of the world, and by the way, out and out living in disobedience to what the Word of God specifically commanded. Somewhere along the line, Solomon said, I know better than God. It's amazing how quickly someone can gain wisdom from God and then lose it. And he lost some. When he said, I know he said no horses, but I'll gain, I'll multiply the horses, the money. No, I know he said not to take the wives, but I'll take them anyway. And, and over an abundance. And it would cost him. As he lost it, walking in the flesh, and a man of possessions, a man of the flesh, a man of sin. Verse 4. And he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father for Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Zoans and Milcom the abominations of the Ammonites we could go on and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father a heart that turns to the flesh and a heart that turns to possession is a heart that turns from God that's what happened. His heart and his life turned to the flesh. His heart and life turned to gaining the possessions of the world. I think of the scripture where it says, Love not, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Matthew 6, through 24. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. You notice that no man, that's ever, not, a, not a single man on this earth can serve two masters. 
For he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Boy, somewhere along the line, Solomon said, I can serve too. And God said, if you're serving them at all, you're not serving me at all. You can't do two. We're either using the things that God has entrusted us with in this world for his honor and glory, or we're living for the things of this world, but there's no real in-between. Solomon chose and tried to walk in between, and he lost it. He, he would lose it as he turned to the world. He turned them to the world. Careful of the world. Careful of the world. Ah, be careful. Parents are teens. Our teenagers are right up here and our young people up the street. Be careful where you're turning their heart. Be careful what you let them live for. There's some dangers out there. It's music. It's media. It's amusements. Friend, they will take their heart. You cannot serve both. It seems so many times we're trying to ride a fence. Serve God. Live for God. Let go of the things of the world. Solomon rode a fence and he lost it all. Rehoboam. You know, some things are from one generation to another, by the way. You know, some things I just, you may get by with because of the foundation you've been given. Your children or your grandchildren won't. They won't. Sometimes we may get by in terms of, not that God doesn't notice and judge it, but, but we stay in a certain place because of what we've been grounded, but we don't realize what we're taking from our children and watching them walk full force into. The music of this world, the media of this world. You know why a lot of young people just can't bear church anymore? Because they're caught up with the world's media. I'll just be frank. If you've got an appetite for the world's music, you're going to have a hard time with Amazing Grace. The music's Christian rap, music's world, music's things, and then you try to come in and sing a song and find some, you know, it's like your, their appetites are potato chip appetites, and if they're not getting potato chips in church, they're going to go out there and try to find it somewhere else. That's what's happening. And it's not, we're watching it, we're watching as, and don't get me wrong, Christian, I, every man, we, individual soul liberty, everybody's got to make their own choice, don't they? I have five children, and each one of them are going to have to make their own choice. Rehoboam had to make his own choice, didn't he? And he chose foolishly. He should have sought the counsel of his seniors, but he did not. He chose the counsel of his young men, and he went out and increased the burden that Solomon had placed upon the people rather than decreasing it. And as a result, he lost the kingdom. That was his foolish choice. But God had already ordained that it was going to be divided because of the choice of his father. Be careful. Be careful of what we sell our young people out to in this world. Solomon, his folly, somewhere along the line, his dependence upon God, his walk with God, it drifted. When he was young, he had it. When he was young, he had it. He knew he needed God. He knew he couldn't do it without him. He prayed. He was a man of the word. He walked humbly before his God. Then he grew up. Right? Then he grew up. As he grew up from the world's standpoint, 
the things of the world started looking a lot better. The possessions of the world, the, the, the flesh, the possessions, all those things grabbed his attention. Married the women God told him not to, and he gave his heart away. The wisest man to ever live. The wisest man to ever live did, in all honesty, what men have been doing for a long time because he walked away from his God. Sunrise to sunset. First Samuel, or first Kings, it opens up with David. Second Kings finishes with Nebuchadnezzar. You read the first part of first Kings, you're going to find David on the throne turning the kingdom over to Solomon. If you go to the end of first, second Kings, you're going to find Nebuchadnezzar ruling the people of Israel. You can go from the kingdom on the rise to the kingdom falling. And you can see in Solomon the roots of why it rose and the poisonous seed that would divide it and destroy it as it went from place to place. I'd encourage you, Christian, grab this book. I I like the verse. God meant it when he said it, but all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And there's some examples in that book. There's some lessons to be learned. Some principles to say, look what happened here and how does it apply to me today? I don't need the world. I need the word. I need God. I need to walk in dependence upon him. I need to stay up from, from these things and walk in dependence upon God so that I don't lose the blessings of the Lord. One day, five of my kids are going to have to make their own decision is what they'll do with the Lord. But from that day, from this day to that day, I sure am planting some seeds. I sure am planting some seeds. I'm going to plant the right seed. And if they stray, keep pulling them back. Keep pulling them back. Keep pulling them back. Because God lays out here a humble heart, a dependence upon the Lord, a walk in the Word, I've heard the statement of Frey, you can't, you can't pray your way out of it. Friend, can I tell you something? If you can't pray your way out of it, then there is no way out of it. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that. When somebody says you can't pray your way out of it, you just come to this realization. You can't pray your way out, and there is no way out of it. God is faithful. His word is true. Obey it and depend upon him. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the scripture. Lord, what a passage of Scripture, what an example to be read and to be sought and applied to our life. Lord, I pray that we would apply it individually, that we would search the Scriptures. And Lord, not only is it applied to Solomon and the story that it tells, the account it, it tells us of, but Lord, we would look to our own life individually. Lord, what do you have for us in this Word? Is there some place that, that Lord, we've got our eyes on the things of this world, some root that we're allowing that we need to root out and take out? Or is there some place where the flesh has gained a stronghold or some place where... Uh, our desire for the things of this world and the accomplishments of this life had taken precedent over, precedence over dependence and, and a walk with God and a, and a humbleness and recognizing, Lord, we need you. And if it is the case, Lord, that we would turn our heart back to you, we would walk in humility before you and before your word. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me just ask you this question. How many of you could say, preacher, I, I know that I'm saved. I, I've trusted Christ as my personal savior. That's a settled thing for me. I know him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? You say, preacher, I know the Lord. 
Thank you. May put your hand down. Is there anybody here tonight say, Preacher, I'm unsure of my salvation. I, I know about him, but maybe you couldn't say, Preacher, I know 100% that I am on my way to heaven. That is a sure thing for me. I know Christ. Is there anybody here tonight say, Preacher, I don't know that, but I'd like to know the Lord tonight. Is there anybody like that? You'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? Let me ask you this thing, Christian. How many of you would say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. I, I don't know where. It may have been a verse read. It may have been one of the points. It may have been just something between you and the Lord, but... You say, hey, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to your heart? Certainly respond. I Be like Solomon in his early days as he just said, Lord, I, I need you. I cannot go in or come out before these people. I need the wisdom of God and the understanding of God. But as the Lord has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord tonight. <laughs> 